0: The reason I'm in ministry now as a pastor is because five years ago, our church back in Dallas was looking to fill a role, and Scott suggested to our senior pastor, hey, have you thought about Scott Stonehouse? I wasn't looking for that, but when they came and asked me, it was like, well, now that you mentioned that, that sounds like a really good idea. But none of that would have happened if it would have been for Scott Wayne. So Scott, thank you for everything. Okay, so John chapter 4, this is the woman at the well, and if we think about this like a movie, then this particular short movie has five different scenes. The scene kind of changes between who's talking and who's involved. So we're going to go through it, a scene at a time, I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'll kind of explain what I think's going on, and then we'll see at the end what was the point... And what does that have to do with us now? So the first scene begins in John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his (laughs) disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria... So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is the intro scene. This is kind of setting the stage for what's going to happen. And it says that Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee. So if you look at Israel as a map, Judea is in the south, Galilee is in the north, but there's this land in between called Samaria, and it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, technically, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, if he was a good Jew, he would not have gone through Samaria. Good Jews would go east, go across the River Jordan, go up, and then go back across the river when they were in Galilee. Because no good Jew is going to go through Samaria. Because Samaria had Samaritans. (laughs) Now, what's the big deal with Samaritans? So just as a side note, like 800 years before this, the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, the northern kingdom, which was bad, gets conquered by the nation of Assyria. In 722 B.C. And the Assyrians take most of the Jews away. And they take them as slaves and forced labor to other parts of the world. So there are very few Israelites left in this area of Israel. And so the Assyrians bring other people in to repopulate this area. And so you've got these other people that the Assyrians brought in with these leftover Jews who were there. And what happens is they begin to intermarry, which Jews were not supposed to do. But these Jews started to do that with these others. And so what you get is this group of people that were half Jew, half something else. And the other Jews despised them for it. They were like, you are less than us. We are better than y'all. We're real Jews. Y'all are something else, and you worship somewhere else. And so they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't go near them. And yet it says that Jesus had to go through Samaritan. Well, we're going to see that in a few minutes. Why? But the basic point is because Jesus loved Samaritans. And that was kind of like Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus loved the unlovable people. All throughout the New Testament, when you read these stories about Jesus, it's always Him loving someone That no one else did. And so Jesus loved the Samaritans. That's why he had to go through Samaria. And it says it was about the sixth hour. So if we're beginning from sunrise, it means it was around lunchtime. About the hottest part of the day. Which is going to be important during the next scene. So let's go to scene two. This is verse 7 through 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, so that was a long chunk of verses. But that's where most of the action's happening, right? Is this conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well. Now, the first question is, why is she drawing water at noon? I mean, if you're smart, you don't go in the, when it's the hottest time. You, you go early in the morning when it's still cool to get your water. Or maybe you go near the end of the day when it's cool to get your water. But you don't go at noon. Unless, of course, you've had five husbands... And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And everyone in town with you talks about you as that woman. Right? And then you go when no one else goes. Because you don't want to be seen by everyone else. And so that's what this woman is doing. She's going to the well when no one else is going to be there so she can get her water and not be scorned upon and looked at sideways by the other people, the better people that might be there. And then they get into this conversation, and there's a lot here, but we're not going to go through all of it. But this conversation where Jesus uses the physical things to talk about spiritual things. But she's not following him, so every time he tries to go somewhere, she keeps either misunderstanding him, or when he starts to kind of press in, she wants to then deflect the conversation. So he says, You're right. <laughs> what yeah. <laughs> a little flare. Oh, there's an echo. Okay, sorry. I'm going mentally so fast I did not hear. That. I thought you were just laughing at me, <laughs> which happens regularly at my church, so that's why it didn't bother me. Uh, so Jesus says, you know, you don't. You've had five husbands, uh, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. And she says, I perceive you are a prophet. And then she says, Oh, but what about this? And she tries to distract the conversation. He brings it back. And then she goes, oh, well, okay, you might be right, but I'll wait until I hear this from the Messiah. He's going to tell us everything. And then Jesus reveals himself for the first time to this person, this Samaritan woman, and says, I am the Messiah. Another side note. The Bible has all these things sprinkled through it, these little clues that it's authentic, that it's true, and that it's not made up. This is one of them. If you're making up a story about your religion, if you're going to try and get a religion off the ground, and you're going to make up a story, you don't have as character witnesses Samaritan women. Because no one in the culture cares what Samaritan women think. The only reason you put it in there is because it really happened. right? Okay, so... Jesus doesn't get it. I mean, the woman doesn't get it. Jesus finally tells her, I am the Messiah you're waiting for. That's the end of the scene. Now we go to scene three, which the disciples decide to come in and interrupt the party. So let's read verses 27 through 30. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you see? Or, why are you talking with her? So, they thought it was weird that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. But this is Jesus. And so you don't go, hey Jesus, really, you shouldn't be doing this. So they're just going to let him roll with it. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So, this is kind of like a split scene in the movie. We see two different things coming, going on. One, the disciples come back, and they're like, what is he doing? And the woman leaves her water jar. The whole reason she came to the well, because she wants to go back and tell the people of the town, the people she was trying to avoid, that she might have just met the Messiah. Right Now, she didn't get any kind of training Before she did that, Jesus, give me uh, five easy tips on how to share my faith with with my friends. Uh, There wasn't a pamphlet or a tract that he gave her. In fact, he didn't even tell her to go do this. She naturally, after this encounter, wanted to go to people who despised her and tell them that she might have just met the Messiah. And what does she do? She begins by telling them what he did and then asking them a question. Could this be the Messiah? And she also brought them with her back to him. The very first, the, what she says is, come see a man. Not, hey, there's a guy at the well. Y'all need to go see if he can read your fortune too. She said, come. So she's going back to the well. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah. Let's read scene 4, verse 31 through 38. Meanwhile, back at the camp, uh, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Which in the original Greek means did someone bring Jesus a sandwich Right? while we were gone? That's what we went to town for. We come back and he says he's not hungry anymore. What happened? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months then comes to harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap... That for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus is telling them a couple of things. One, what satisfied him was to do the will of God. So there's this interesting connection. The woman came for water, and she left without water because she had found living water. Jesus was hungry, and yet he no longer needs physical food because he had done the will of his father, and that satisfied him. And then he's telling the disciples this story that, listen, there have been people working, sowing in the fields before you even got here. But now you are about to enter into their labor and be part of the harvest, because look around you. The the harvest, the field is ready for harvest. Now it's possible that he is even looking at the people coming from town as he says this. Because the verse before this scene says that after the woman said that, they were all coming out of the town. So now Jesus is talking to the disciples, and potentially he is looking at these people, pointing at these people, saying, look, the field is ripe for harvest. Now you didn't have anything to do with it. Other people have been laboring behind the scenes. I've been doing it with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, who knows. But other people have labored. They have sown, they have watered, but now it's time to harvest. Let's get busy, right? And then the final scene, verse 39-42, to Jesus says this, or it says this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. (coughs) So the basic point of that final scene, many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus. So what's the point of this whole short movie? Jesus loved and wanted to save Samaritans. So he went into Samaria. And he also wanted to involve this woman. He wanted to involve her in the process. Now maybe if she had just done something else and, and not responded, maybe Jesus then eats with his disciples and they go into town and they witness. But he wanted to involve her. And because of her and how she responded to this call inside her, there were all these Samaritans that came to faith. Think about the number of people that will be in heaven from that village because this woman responded when she met Christ. And she went and told people about her experience. Now, the call that she had was not explicit. Again, Jesus didn't say, now go tell your friends and bring them back here. It was something internal, something inside her that said, I've got to go tell others about this. Now, for us, our call when it comes to sharing our faith is explicit. Right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Y'all are doing a baptism today, right? That's part of responding to this call. Our call is explicit. We have a message that we are to share with the people around us. Now, would it surprise you if I told you that my goal is not to convert someone when I'm talking to them about Jesus? That's not my goal. Now, ultimately, I hope that happens, but my goal initially is simply to bring up spiritual topics. I'm not trying to hit a home run every time I step up to the plate. All I'm trying to do is swing, right? Just just get up there and swing. And I'm going to leave the results up to God. Sometimes it's a strikeout, sometimes it's a foul ball, maybe it's a single, sometimes it's a home run. But my goal is just to be faithful. Just get up there and swing when I see an opportunity. My goal is to to put a stone in someone's shoe. Scott Wynn years ago used this analogy, and it stuck with me, about we are links in a chain. If you think about someone coming to faith, someone's spiritual story, we are links in a chain. Sometimes we're the very first link. They've never even heard about Jesus and we're the first person to tell Sometimes we're the last link. We're going to be the person that prays with them and, and helps them cross the line of faith. But a lot of times we're just going to be somewhere in the middle. We're just a link. And so my goal is I just want to be a good link. right? I, I want to bring up a spiritual conversation with them and hopefully plant a seed. And then one of you is going to come by later in water. Someone else is going to come by later in water. And someone else is going to harvest that. That's my goal. So my question for us as we think about our call to go share the news of Jesus with others is, well, how do we transition to those spiritual conversations? How do we start those? And I just want to suggest that one of the ways is... Just like this woman did, by asking a question. She asked, Could this man be the Messiah? And so, are there questions like that that we can ask to just bring up spiritual topics? And so, I wrote down a few that I've either used or thought of. Have you ever thought about what happens after we die? I could ask that of a friend of mine. Have you ever thought about what happens after we die? Have you ever read any of the life of Jesus? I mean, not heard the story of Jesus. A lot of people have heard the story. Have you ever read anything about his life or his words, like from the New Testament? I mean, this guy is really fascinating. I'm really enjoying reading about his life. Have you ever read anything about Jesus directly from the sources? Why do you think we're here? Not here, but, like, here. Why are we here? How did we get here? Is there a God? What's God like? You can ask any one of those questions and then sit back and listen to people. Because people like talking about these things. And you don't have to have the answers. Right? You're not trying to bring up the topic so that way you can tell them the correct answer. You're bringing up the topic because you just want to be able to talk to them about it. And pull them in. And typically what happens, if you ask someone a question, they're going to end up asking you a question back. And so if I ask, why are we here? They're, they're going to tell me, and then they might go, what do you think? Why do you think we're here? Well, here's the thought. But we don't have to have the answers. We just have to step up and swing at the plate. In fact, let me just mention one other thing Often, not having the answers is an incredible tool, right? Saying that you don't know really helps people trust you and believe you because none of us have all the answers. So to be able to say, no, I I don't know, that's a good question, I'm still working on that myself, helps people to say, oh, okay, this is someone that I can talk to because they don't think they already know all the answers. Maybe we can. To have these kind of conversations. Let me tell you a story and then we're done. And it's about my friend Kevin. So, Kevin was my best friend in high school. We were roommates in college for a few years. And then over the course of time, we've been friends since then. Now, when I met Kevin in high school, he was the stereotypical, angry, <laughs> cynical atheist. I mean, he didn't like the idea of God. He didn't like the idea of organized religion. All Christians were stupid and hypocrites. To which I said, yeah, a lot of Christians, some Christians are stupid and some are hypocrites, but some atheists are stupid and hypocrites and some Muslims are stupid and hypocrites. Let's just say all people, there's stupidity and hypocrisy for everybody, right? So that doesn't really get us very far it comes to Christianity. And so, let's just talk. And we talked over decades. Little conversations, here, there, here, there, here, there. Three years ago at Thanksgiving, he sent me a text message. He lives in Houston now, I'm in Dallas. But he sent me a text message and said, hey, thought you'd like to know I became a Christian. I'm like, ah, you know, 20 years of prayer, you know, come in. And one of the things he said, because I, I was just links in a chain, right? It was some people in Houston who led him to faith. But one of the things he said in his message was Scott, I always enjoyed having these conversations with you. Because it was always easy. It was always safe. It was fun. And sometimes I didn't know the answer. Sometimes he didn't know the answer. But since we weren't keeping score, since we were just friends, we were like, well, alright, let's talk about that more next time. And so my hope is that we can have lots of those kinds of relationships with our friends, where we're just—it's okay to talk about spiritual things and not know the answer. And our motivation is simply to get up to bat and swing. And we're going to leave the rest to God. We don't feel the pressure of having to hit a home run every time. And so that is my encouragement to you: is that when you're called up to bat, just Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you very much for this morning. Lord, I am just so tickled to be in a place this beautiful. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Uh, And Lord, I pray for all of us as we go celebrate baptism, that that will be just a great thing. And then as we go forward from here about our lives as we are ambassadors for Christ, Lord, that we would be faithful. That when you show us opportunities, we would just swing and we would leave the results up to you. Lord, help us to do that. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.